Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus with producer Sana Marie. Each week, I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose, the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion, they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. This is DeAndre Brown with Lifeline to Success, and I'm hanging out with Ina Esco on Verbally Effective. What's good, y'all? It's Colway, Gold Cupid himself, and you rocking with the Verbally Effective Podcast with Ina Esco. Bye! I'm Jay Buck, and I'm verbally effective because I am an original artist from Memphis, and with my voice, with my pen, with my music, I'm able to allow people to see within them something that they didn't see before. Infusing jazz and blues with a funk groove, singer-songwriter Jay Buck spreads love and peace through his music. A native of blues capital, Memphis, Tennessee, he embodies the essence of old-school soul and captivates audiences with his high notes and high-energy performances. Verbally Effective, your double E, Ina Esco here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to episode 137 of the Verbally Effective podcast. You know, you guys can download on all podcasts and platforms, but hey, we are now on YouTube and you can see all of the visuals we have on the Ina Esco YouTube channel. That's E-N-A-E-S-C-O. So make sure you guys check it out. Today, I have with me a native Memphian who is a singer songwriter and he is the king of nostalgic soul. What's up, Jay Buck on the Verbally Effective Podcast? How are you, Jay Buck? I'm doing good, and I appreciate you having me. So glad to finally be on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> oh, you've been wanting to be on the podcast. I've been wanting to be on it since we first had the idea of doing this and just to see where you take wow. it. It's just it's just been a blessing. I'm just very proud to watch it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a guest. And, you know, I've seen you performed in Memphis numerous times and you just, you know, you, you have um, an energy about you that exudes like soul. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I can understand why you're the king of nostalgic soul because you, you know, just have that energy about you. Everything that come out your mouth, uh, your presentation, you know, you do a wonderful job at what you do, Jay Buck. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You're making me blush. I'm too dark. <laughs> <laughs> How long you been doing this, Jay Buck? Well, I've been um, singing since I was two years old. Of course, I'm like most people, started off in the church. Okay. You know, about eight years old, I started singing out on my own children's choir, you know. Wow. 
the trouble, the water. So I was out there doing that. Yes. Um, you know, and but I was still kind of shy. I was a very reserved child. So I didn't start like really singing like that until I got to high school. I joined the concert choir in Whitehaven. I started getting more technical skills about myself. Then I went to college and I put it down for a while. I didn't do it. Uh, because Ooh, I we put it down. Okay, we're going to get to why you put it down in a minute. Yeah. Look, well, so you've been doing this a while. You said since two years old. Yeah. That's but, a very long time. But I've but been professionally doing it since like 2012. So, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're going to start at the beginning, Jay Buck. What part of Memphis are you from? I am from Whitehaven. I uh, grew up there. Some people call it Blackhaven, uh, B-A-Z, Blackhaven Zone. Uh, I grew up right there on Chevy Drive, so I'm right up there by the airport. So, Okay. Uh, ain't got a wink of sleep sitting. So. <laughs> <laughs> How was it growing up in Whitehaven? Tell me about, you know, your upbringing. Um, so, uh, me and my dad, my mom, and my sister, we stayed in, like, a small, like, uh, townhome community or whatever, and so, you know, it was one of them things where, you know, we wake up 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, somebody trying to steal the car, you know, that Ooh. type of thing, you know, and it was, it was always, like, you know, that element of crime that surrounded us or whatever, but at the same time, like, we never wanted for anything, like, we always made sure, my folks always made sure that we ate, uh, you know, I had a pretty good life coming up, my childhood growing up, and uh, spending a lot of time in the street playing sideline pop, basketball, things like that. Uh, and so, you know, early on, I, I just was kind of more so into uh, sports and art. I used to draw, paint, things like that. Um, and so music never really was like a thing where I said, okay, I can do this, like do it. I always had an appreciation for it because my mom has a very diverse ear. And so she would have me listening to Donnie Hathaway. Al yes, Frank. my fave. Aretha Frank. Donnie's your fave? Yes. Yes. But then, you know, she she had uh, you know, she had uh, different people that she would introduce me to, like different rock groups that she would introduce me to, and classical music. And so I got exposed to a lot um, as a kid, even though we didn't have a lot. And so... Mm -hmm. Uh, but we always had each other. And I think that that's one of the things about Memphis that I appreciate growing up in the community I grew up in is that, you know, we always stick together and look out for each other. Like, even if we fighting amongst each other, we yeah. ain't gonna let somebody else come in and try to come at us wrong. So, right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, it was a lot of gang activity involved and things of that nature, but I pretty much stayed clear of that. There were times where I wanted to be a part of that, but Mm. My father would never be like, nah, man, you need to go here. You need to go to school or something, you know? Yeah. So it was just a different time back then, you know? Yeah. Now, were you like an A student or like a B, C, D, E, F, G? What, what we was doing in school <laughs> with them studies? <laughs> well, when I was young coming up, you know, I was I was about A, B, you know, on average. Um, but I had, you know, I had certain struggles with, with you know, with the conduct part of things. The condo. You was running that mouth in class, talking to the little girls. Run that mouth in class and, you know, getting into fights and things like that. Oh, I can't see that, but okay. <laughs> but you know what, when I tell people that they can't see it, but it was most of the time it's because I was sticking up with somebody else. Like, I got oh. this thing. I can't stand a bully. And so when I see mm. somebody doing it, I just, hey, man, like, hey, stop that. We're not doing that. And so coming up... Oh, what is your zodiac sign? I'm a Pisces. 
I am a Pisces. I'm about to say, you must be a Pisces. We don't like nobody bullying on nobody. What, what day is your uh, birthday? I'm March 20th. March 12th. <laughs> <laughs> I, did not know we were Pisces I feel them Pisces vibes. I knew it. I knew it, J-Buck. Wow. Okay, now let me ask you this. Can your parents sing? Did you get it, like, down the line? Well, this is the thing. So they were both in choirs coming up because we were in the South. I'm the only person in my family from Memphis. Let me say that part. Okay. Everybody else is Mississippi raised. My mom is from Holly Springs. Okay. My dad is from Oxford, but he grew up in Columbus, Mississippi, um, where my grandparents, you know, we would go down there in the summertime and spend time with them. And so uh, they they were singers, but like choir singers. They were gotcha. never like, the type to be out and, you know, get paid to sing and things of that nature. Um, so I had some sense of musical musical talent, but like my mom tells her, I don't know where that came. <laughs> we don't really have a lot of that in our family so mm-hmm. um, you know it's it's really just been a blessing from god uh this gift yes. and i tried to fight against it for a long time uh, okay now have does your mom come out to see you perform sometimes she does sometimes she does uh early on she did a lot um you know but i think about about 2018 my mom kind of got a little sick. Um, she had experienced cancer. Uh, okay. so she kind of had to slow down, take a step back. But, you know, thank God it's in remission right now. So, Amen. Um, yeah, so, but yeah, like my mom has always been proud of me. But she tries not to come to too many of them because she said I be doing too much up there sometimes. Yeah, because, like, you know, you be, you be, you don't do I it. Get it the <laughs> I get a little bad from time to time. Okay, that's okay. Okay, well, we're going to back up some more, uh, Jay Buck. So uh, when you graduated from Whitehaven, yeah. what did you do? So after I left Whitehaven, uh, I was a little stuck because I, I was in between. Like I wanted to go to Berkeley College of Music and that was like my thing the whole time. So I got accepted, but I didn't realize that tuition was going to be $150,000 a semester. I'm like, Dang. who going to pay that? Right. <laughs> so um, that happened. And then I was kind of stuck, okay, so what do I do now? And uh, ended up getting into Middle Tennessee State University uh, to be a part of their reporting industry program. Awesome. I went up there, uh, and of course, I wasn't able to make the candidacy to get into the program because I couldn't pass that college algebra. Okay. Um, But when I went up there, I was trying to study the business side of music because I was like, maybe I can get in on the business side, and then that can give me the opportunity to get my own music out there. Um, but when I went out there, it, it, I met um, uh, a brother named Baba Bakari, uh, who sent me on a spiritual journey um, mm. that, that kind of gave me a different education um, just about our people and where we come from. And so uh, I joined a brother's group while I was out there. And, you know, we were able to be introduced to sweat lodges. We were going retreats together. We, wow. And, you know, and just learn different things about the Yoruba tribes and the Dogons and all these different spiritual systems that, that come out of, you know, cause I'm raised, I was raised Baptist, uh, but just learning these different things, learning to gift the meditation and learning all these different tools mm. that I didn't realize would help enhance my music later on. So I took a break from music because I was like, I want to know what it feels like to make friends just cause I'm a cool guy. Not just because 
oh, okay, I'm talented, so he can bring the girls around. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, right. So I, I took time to kind of step away from music and kind of grow up, I guess, and mm-hmm. and become a man a little bit. And so um, I'm thankful that I, I took that path. And so I stopped focusing more so on music, and I turned my attention to sociology, psychology, social work. So I have like inside of me, I exist in two different worlds. Mm, There's a side of me that that is truly intent. I feel like my purpose here is to truly bring people together and show people who they are, to hold up the mirror. Mm. And I do that with music, but I also do that with the work that I do in my day to day. Because um, a lot of people don't know, I work for Youth Villages Foster Care. Um, really? Okay, I didn't know that. But I can see how that goes hand in hand with what you're saying. You want to help. You want to help. I just want to help. And so, like, that's the thing. And so I, I always uh, believe that I never want anybody to use my truth against me. So I turn it around and all of my truth is out there because I want to make sure that people know and people and kids know that your journey is your journey. As long as you own it, where your destination is, it doesn't matter. As yeah. long as you get there. Yeah. What happens along the way, hey, take some wins, take some losses. There are no losses. Yeah. Lessons and blessings. That's it. That's true. That's true. Now, you know, th- that's very interesting that you mentioned that you went on an actual spiritual journey, right? And I know that can get a little real deep. Uh, on these type of spiritual journeys. Can we go into a little more detail about that? Because what I really want to know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, did you guys like uh, ever ex- experience, uh, I guess, dibbling and dabbling into some of those, I think it's herbs. I, I don't know the name of them that will actually take you on a psychedelic ride and mm. you really see some stuff that, you yeah. didn't know what's going on. You know what I'm talking about. Right, 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 right. Yes. So um, one of the things that, that happens in um, the, the Yoruba religious spiritual system, or Ifa, um, is we do definitions. And so um, as I, like, progressed through the, through, uh, through the group that I was with, I was blessed to be a, become a part of those definitions. So I would sit um, with the Yoruba priests on the mat, and we would do divination, divinations before we would actually go into the sweat lodge to, you know, focus on what it was that we were going to be focusing on, what we needed to heal from or what we needed to gain or learn from the ancestors. And so to do that, we have to cast out the stones so that the ancestors could let us know what was going on, what we needed to focus on in the sweat lodge. Um, and honestly, it was, it's, it's more so the heat of the energy that, that we invite into that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's less about the herbs, even though there are herbs there, but more so about our, the ability to get clean from the toxins that, that mm. we our body from day to day, like uh, being able to sweat all of that out of you. And okay. Um, and so there, there have been times, like there have been times where I've been in meditation where I've, you know, heard bald eagles flying. Really? Yeah. So those things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but for me, you know, it was, it was less about, okay, 
be focusing on, okay, what, what kind of cool stuff can I see happening? And, right. And what can I learn about myself? And so um, when we bring ourselves into a spiritual space, we realize the grand nature of the universe and how we are just one incident of human life in a larger scheme, a much larger picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it really makes you appreciate God more and makes you appreciate the universe more because we're not the first people to be humans and uh, we won't be the last. And so, yeah. uh, Lord willing. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> with, the, with the way we got it right now, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure either. And, and my mind is open to anything. But, but what is the biggest lesson you think you learned with that experience? And what, did you, what is the biggest thing that you think you learned about yourself? Yeah, well, the biggest thing I, I learned about myself that I didn't realize at first is that um, I held grudges. I didn't realize that mm. at first. But like when somebody runs a foul to me, it just sticks in my brain forever. Like when, when you bring up a person, I immediately think about the time where they slighted me or the time where they said something negative and thought I didn't hear about it. And I would hold on to those things. And so I had these chips on my shoulder and I didn't realize the hard work that I was doing, my work ethic was pretty much driven by people saying what I couldn't do and not so much driven by, I just wanted to do it. Right. So I had to make the separation of, okay, forgiveness is for me. I need to let this shit go. <laughs> right, right, That's let it go. Yeah, the biggest lesson from that is from moving forward, like where I'm at now in life, I don't take anything personal because nobody, no man or woman determines my life. My life is a summation of the choices that I make and the things that I've learned and the experiences that I've gained. And so if somebody doesn't like that or they feel like I don't deserve this or why is he there or why does he do this? Why are you focused on my blessing? Right. So, and if you're doing that, then hey, (laughs) that's on you. That's between you and God. So you learn that very early on in life because a lot of people don't figure that out until much later. A lot of people walk around with grudges their whole life. Um, even with the input of social media, a lot of people are so insecure if somebody comments, um, you know, if they hear the word no, they take it so personal, like it was something personal against them. You never know what people why they made that decision you know so you are you learned that very early on in life so you know I know you said that you took a break from music you went on a spiritual journey what happened next for Jay Buck um so I got out of college I graduated college praise God I made it praise um, God MTSU <laughs> baby MTSU yeah MTSU okay so Graduated, and I stayed in Murfreesboro, Tennessee uh, for, for, for like a year after that. Um, and so a couple of my homegirls, they were doing music one day, and they were like, hey, we're going to go do these auditions. They're about to do a show or whatever. You want to come with us? We want you to sing with us. Because we always used to play around and stuff um, and just have little sets at the house and somebody break out the piano, and then we just start singing. Hey. Um, I was like, okay, I'm down. Let's just go. And so... Uh, went down there. At that point, I was working at FedEx Ground. I didn't have much going on. It was like 3 o'clock, three o'clock in the morning shift, about 7.30 in the morning. And then I was working at a furniture store from like 10 to 7 at night. So I was just working. On the um, grind. On the grind. Just trying to get. <laughs> and so I went there, uh, and they said, what y'all call yourself? I said, we're going to be mocha latte. And so it was me and two girls. 
and one rap, one sing, I sung, I sung, one played piano. And so we had a little vibe going for a while, but then we ended up breaking up. And so why yeah. did you all break up? Well, I tell you this, and and this is something that that I learned early on is that you want to do it, but when you go into a group effort, everybody has to be on the same page. Everybody yeah. has to yeah. want it the same, and that's hard to do. That's extremely hard to do. And so when people start missing shows, when people start not coming to rehearsal, mm-hmm. it got to a thing where it was like, okay, well, we'll bump it. I'm going to keep doing my thing because I still want this. You right. know? I still love music. And it was clear to me that it wasn't the same case with the other two, as far as being on stage, being performed, you know, mm-hmm. um, and being artists. And so after that, you know, uh, I started doing shows on my own. I started putting my own money up to put on shows because nobody would book me because then nobody knew who I was at that particular time. Uh, you know, I was still using my, my government name. I was Josh Buck. I wasn't even really J Buck at that point. Mm-hmm. I even branded myself. No Buck nasty. They want none of that. Yeah, this early J Buck. <laughs> Josh Buck. Josh Buck. <laughs> so I would get on stage and I look out in the crowd, it'd be like four people there. You know, two of them was, you know, my folks, <laughs> you know, my right. own whatever. And so, uh, but I always made sure that I was giving my best. Because in my brain, when I'm on stage, I see 20,000 people at a time. Mm. And I perform like that because I was always performing like that. It's kind of like when you watch watch basketball, like we watch Russell Westbrook. He's going 100 miles per hour the whole game. He only knows how right. to play one way, whether he's up 20 or down 20. True. He's going to give it to you. And that's just how I feel I translate on stage. Um, but uh, my grandfather ended up passing away. Um, so when he passed away, that's when I said, okay, I need to take this thing seriously. Um, because he came to me in a dream. I was down, uh, went down to Mississippi, uh, spent some time with my grandmother before the funeral. And I slept in his study while I was down there. Uh, and that's when he came and visited me. And, and he told me, uh, either way you look at it, God is good. And I ended up writing that song. Wow. There I ended up created my first EP. Uh, and so from that point, I moved back to Memphis to be closer to the family. And, mm-hmm. and it's just been rocking ever since. So Wow. Okay. And what year was that when you wrote uh, God is Good, uh, that EP? Um, well, well, the the name of the EP was the J-Buck Experience. The J-Buck Experience. I dropped it in 2015. I started writing all the music in 2014. Though. Um, okay. Okay passing so yeah okay. now how did that feel when your grandfather came to you in the dream and you woke up and you remember it vividly because i've had dreams like that you know us pisces are kind of slick psychic too we are we are you know they, intuitive. They say, yeah we're very intuitive they say that we're the sign that every other sign needs and i think that that's part of it we you can give that nurture that water yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i mean that's why people get baptized right amen uh, <laughs> That's true. But, uh, it was really a trippy experience. He and I were very close. Uh, mm-hmm. My grandfather was a hell of a man. Like, if I can just really put it out there, like a hell of a man. Like, mm-hmm. he was a Baptist minister. He was a school principal. He was, you know, 
a civil rights activist in the 60s wow. and during a time where, you know, Megan Evans was out there, and, you know, James Meredith, all those cats. In Mississippi, too. Yes. My grandfather, my grandfather bought land in Mississippi, I want to say, in the 70s. It was like 11 acres of land. We still have it in the family to this day. Wow. I mean, he had his masters and, you know, both my, both my grandparents were, were educated. This is on my, my dad's side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when he passed, I didn't, I didn't realize how hard I would take it until it happened. Mm-hmm. Like I knew he was sick. I knew he wasn't getting better, but when it happened, I still wasn't ready for it. There's yeah. no way to prepare. Nobody teaches us how to accept loss coming up. So when it happens, you just kind of have to figure it out as you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when that happened, when he came to me, I felt a certain sense of comfort. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, at least I know that he's still here with me. So he's not here in the physical form, but in the spiritual form, I talk to him every day. Like as far as, you know, just making sure that I'm tapping into to that part. Uh, of who I am because I never want to lose it. Now I have this one grandparent left. My mother's parents passed away when she was very young. Um, so now I just have one grandparent left and I'm trying to hold on to her as tight as I can. Yeah, that's a blessing to even have a grandparent, you know, in our age right now. So I know you cherish her. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, but that's, that's the thing. We, I feel like a lot of the traits that he had, I kind of inherited a lot of those also. So, Mm-hmm. Learning, learning about, I'm learning more about him now than I knew about him when he was alive. And that's the interesting part about it. So. Yes. And you know what? When we get older, we find out more things about our parents, our grandparents. And we be like, what? Granny did what? <laughs> like, <laughs> I understand what you're talking about because even today I'm learning things that I never knew in conversation with my mom. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. you never told me that. Like, really? And then you find out you're so much like you know, the people in your family, like, I do that too. Like, okay. Like, I see where I get this from. I see where I get that from. So I definitely understand. Now, did you struggle, you know, uh, when you had to cope with your grandfather's death? Did you struggle in any way? I definitely struggled. I struggled, 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 struggled. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so with that, with, with that experience, um, I went into a dark depression. I was in a very dark state. So even though I had gained all these spiritual skills, okay, now here come the tests in life to see if you really are going to use them and be about what you say that you're about. Um, and so that experience, that amount of grief had never affected me that close. I've never I've experienced death in the family, but never to anyone that I was spent years with, you know, like being close with. Um, and so I started drinking like extremely heavy mm. uh, and, you know, started hanging out more. I started being more promiscuous. Mm. Uh, and you know, the musicians, they can, you know, the women, they waiting on you, baby. They like waiting. Ooh, take bucks a night. <laughs> know how they go. That's how that goes. But I mean, you know, but it, it got to a point where it was like, okay, now you just being a little, you know, you being a little hoe right now. Did you realize that yourself or did somebody have to point it out to you? Nah, I realized it myself because somebody pointed it out and they, they pointed out, somebody asked me about a girl and I had literally forgot that we had had sex. And that's when I was like, okay, now I'm in, I'm in a different space right now. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, and so it affected me and I ended up, you know what I'm saying, like having a situation where 
drinking and driving. Had, mm. to, sit, had to sit for a night. And so I had that go, I had that go down, you know, thankfully was able to get all that expunged and get all that worked out or whatever. But, but I did have that situation. Happen. I mean, I've, I've been around for a minute in the city. And so I'm, I'm going in and one of the cats that worked there was a cat that I knew. One of the officers was a cat that I knew. He's like, what you doing to him? Mm-hmm. Like, shoot, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> help me, help. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so even that was a, a, a traumatizing experience on top of the trauma that I was already dealing with. Yeah. Um, but me being me, I went in there and made friends. <laughs> Look, your old Pisces, you know, we get along with anybody. But it was, but it was the difficult part was the uh, the embarrassment I felt like you know I was putting my parents through, and and we were able to process through that because I was I just know my dad is gonna like rip into me. But it was crazy like because he picked me up because uh, my my two best friends bailed me out. Shout out to Cody Little. Shout out to my boy. What's Michelle. up, Cody? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. And so Daddy they, wasn't coming to bail you out. Cody had to come. Cody and the other friends. No. Daddy wasn't coming with. <laughs> but the crazy part is. He came to see me while I was in there because he wanted to look at me. Oh, see me. Mm. And so I guess he wasn't knowing that when you do that, you add on time, you slow down the process of getting out of jail. Because, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So when you have a visitor come in, you know, it slows down the process. Why is that? You know what? If you ask me to explain this, this criminal justice system, child, I can. That's crazy. It's crazy. I don't know why that is, but that's what they told me while I was while I was in there. I learned a lot. They had a psychologist come in, like, "Are you okay?" Like, whatever, whatever. Uh, and and this is, you know, statute of limitations is passed. But I was I was, you know, working at that particular time, and so mm-hmm. you know, I had people ask me, like, "Y'all hiring up there?" Like, come on. <laughs> wow. What did your dad say to you when he came to visit? Um, and he was just uh, asking, like, "Well, how you feel?" And I was just like, I just, I just want to say that I love you. And, you know, and then we just sat there and looked at each other for a minute. And was like, all right, well, I'm going to be out here. We'll get, we'll get you out in a minute. And okay. then we had to ride home, you know, and that's when uh, it was probably to this day the most impactful conversation that I've had with my father. And, you know, I'm not going to get emotional. But uh okay, yeah. Pisces. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> I leak I leak very easily. Uh, <laughs> but uh yeah, no, nah, but he but he told me, he said, uh he basically was saying, like, I love my life. You know, I go to work, come home, I watch the TV, eat, mm-hmm. you know, we had some bad days here and there, but you know, he was basically just telling me, like, I hope you love your life too. Like, and I want you to be here to to appreciate. Yeah. And that that meant more to me than anything else. That he did. You know, of course, he still was like, "Man, we had just seen somebody because we had literally just seen somebody." Now, the day before that, this is the day after Thanksgiving, so the day before that was the first time that we had went to visit my grandfather's gravesite. And when we were on the way back, we saw a brother that was pulled up on the side of the road. He was like, well, you got to be careful out here because, you know, sometimes, you know, they pull you over for nothing. It's broad daylight. Wow, the irony of it all. The irony of that happening. So we did, we had a laugh about that. But, <laughs> you know, for the most part, uh, it was one of those things to where it was like, okay, I, I hope I hope now you kind of, you get it. 
Yeah. So you think that was a turning point in your life? I think it was a real turning point for me. And, and to be honest with you, like I've had some, some, some other incidents that have happened in between that. Um, not as extreme as that incident, but you know, uh, I, I started moving a little different. I started becoming more responsible and, and just thinking about how my actions affect other people. Because when I was in that dark space, I wasn't considering that there were people out here that love me, that want me to be here and need me to be successful at what I'm doing. Um, and so I kind of buckled down more and started taking myself more seriously because it got to a point where, yeah, I'm doing music, I'm, I'm going through my day to day, but I'm just busy right now. Mm-hmm. It's the difference between being busy and actually working. Yeah. I was, I was gigging, I was out, I was doing that, but it wasn't building me towards anything in particular. I was just being busy to keep my mind from going to that space. But what I was doing was limiting myself as an artist in the process. Yeah. And so when I was able to actually sit with it and get back on my regular routine of meditating every day, praying every day, um, journaling, like writing, like all of that, it started to pay off for me because I was able to write not only the Matters album, but my Bar Talk album. I was writing both of those albums at the same time. I just put them out at different times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put Love Matters out in 2016 and then came with, with uh, Bar Talk in 2019. But I had wrote both albums between mm-hmm. the years of 2015 and 2016. Okay, you just putting that work in. Okay. And you know what? You're so creative because I remember when you came out with Bar Talk, you put the visuals out on social media, I mean, and like you guys like really had a whole skit, like a movie, like the video was like, y'all was acting like it was for real. <laughs> so how, how was that creative process for Bar, Bar Talk? Not only the uh, songwriting piece, but uh, putting out the content and the visuals. How was that process? Yeah, so for me, I, I like to be organized when I'm going into to this thing. So I have to think about like my budget because I'm an independent artist. So it's all it's all coming out of my pocket. So I got to think about okay, how can we get the best quality for the best price? Um, and so for me, I network across all the time. Like so, I have all of these different brands that are in media and do video editing and do you know lights for. Uh, some of your favorite TV shows and, you know, have been on some of your favorite movie sets and things of that nature that just want to help. And I just had to lean on my relationships. Like, look, I can't give you what you're worth, but this is what I can do. Yeah. So just bartering, 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 I'm losing the words, but you know what I mean. Bartering, yeah, you got it. Yes. So just using the bartering system uh, to bring people in for that. And then for the creative process, I always wanted to make sure when I do my videos, that I'm that I'm tapping into like the everyday man, you know, as as much as I can. Even though I know I'm a unique individual, mm-hmm. but I try to make it as relatable as possible. Um, and I try to communicate love, uh, the same love that I communicate when I'm writing songs. I want people to feel that with the visuals as well, because it's all a part of my uh, brand. I have this thing that I say all the time, like love yourself, love your neighbor, love your neighborhood. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Bible says love your neighbor as you love yourself. So that starts with self-love, you know? And so it's an inside out process. And so with my music, like I always want to make sure that my songwriting is aligned with that. 
And to be honest with you, it happens naturally because that's just how my brain is wired. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with the writing, I tend to write, I start off writing by myself. Mm-hmm. And then I get with Cody Little, who's executive producer of my albums, and then he makes it make musical sense. And so then we bring in the musicians, we go to the studio, we lay it all out. Um, and, and I'm very much so a person that I believe it's a collaborative process musically. Um, so I'm always open to ideas that people have, like, you want to try this? Let's try this. Let's try this. I'm, I'm not opposed to trying anything uh, when it comes to music. And so mm-hmm. I think just having that eclectic process and us buckling down, like, I don't like, okay, I'm going to record this here, then I'm going to send it to you. I, I need you in the room. You know, right. I need to feel it, feel the yeah, energy. Yeah. <laughs> the energy there. Like there's been times where we've recorded certain songs, and then I come out the booth, and everybody's crying. Mm. Like we're all having this moment and this experience together. Like we're all in this space together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's my thing. I try to make sure that that everything that we do, God is present, even if the subject matter might not be, you know as pure as what you might hear on, on, a, on a gospel record. Yeah. But to me, it's all God. Even, oh, God. The, even the things that you would consider a sin or whatever the case may be, I'm talking about sex, I'm talking about drugs, I'm talking about drinking. God is present in everything that I do, mm-hmm. and the decision that we make, you know, and we choose to acknowledge him in all that we do. And that's why I feel like, you know, it's we, we've been blessed to, to really do some cool stuff with this music thing. And so I just... I just take it all in stride. I'm just glad that I've been able to put music out and people come up and tell me, hey, Downtown, that's my favorite song. Love me back. I love that song. I heard it on the radio the other day. So I love that part of it, yeah. Yes. Now, you know what? I think it's interesting that, you know, you are an artist in Memphis and you actually do songwriting and put your music out. We have so many artists in Memphis that do a lot of covers. I mean, I enjoy the covers. Um, and I, I think, you know, the community of Memphis, they enjoy, you know, hearing those particular songs. But I love when an artist put their own music out and perform it. Um, have you noticed that, you know, Memphis is a is a cover, cover city? Yeah. And, yeah, and but, if so, why is that? You know what? I, I feel like, I feel like for a long time, the city of Memphis has benefited from the musicians that 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 do that cover music. Mm-hmm. One thing that I noticed when the pandemic hit is who it hurt the most, like first, like initially it hit the most, was all those musicians that make their money on Bill Street. Mm-hmm. And I saw I saw so many news stories where they were foreclosing on homes. Uh, a lot of them ended up on the street because they weren't able to get that tourism money that was coming in. Like, because when you perform in Bill, you got people there from Sweden that's coming all in. All over, yeah. All over the world. They come in, but they come in to hear that authentic blues sound. Mm-hmm. And so I think it kind of got to a point where people just wanted to be stuck in that mold. They want to either hear that stack sound or they want to hear that blues sound um, that Memphis is known for. And so we just kind of leaned on that because it helps Memphis's economy. So mm-hmm. there was no one there to push individualism anymore. Yeah, uh, there were only there were only dollars put behind. Okay, let's 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 promote this side of it. Yeah, that makes so, a lot of sense. 
So, so for me, I look at it on, on the economic tip. I just feel like we just were raised in an environment that does not encourage individualism. Uh, it encourages, you know, going with the flow and, and, and staying in step with what everyone else is doing. So when I started performing, um, I was noticing, you know, what everyone else was doing. I've been coming around. I've been sneaking into Memphis Sound since I was like 16 years old. <laughs> I'm supposed to be in there. But, yeah. you know, I, I was watching all of the people that came before me do this thing called music and, and soul music in, in particular. And so I'm a fan of everybody. But you notice what songs work. You notice what songs don't work. And then it's like, okay, okay, what can I do? And so that, part, that process took a while for me to get a hold of. Because I still do covers from time to time because, you know, people hire me, people pay me good money to come in and do the covers. I don't mind that. Right. But at the same time, it's for me, it's, it's always been important to I have to have a piece of myself out there because that's my purpose. That's my mission. Yes. That's what makes you an artist is when you can say, OK, this is what I have to say. This is my interpretation. This is my contribution to the history of music. And so for Memphis, yes, we had Stacks. Yes, we had 3-6. We had Project Pat. We had Play of Fly, Al Capone, my boy. All of those people, but blues and soul, all of that. But it's time for a new tradition, you know, to move the city forward. They kept it moving in hip-hop, but for mm -hmm. some reason when it comes to R&B and soul music, we became complacent and stagnant in terms of promoting and moving forward the next generation of soul artists because there's no one else in the world that does it better. Yeah. And what happens is these people from these other places, you know, they come in and they do it, but then they come here and perform and can't hold a candle to our performance. Okay, okay, you said something. But, <laughs> I'm just saying, but they think they do, but they think they're doing soul music. Right. But it's because there's nobody there to show them how it's really done in that elevated space mm -hmm. of popular music. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I love, I'm a fan of everybody, you know, that's out. So I'm not calling any names as far as, you know, popular artists that do soul music. I'm just saying that I feel like we have artists here in the city that if we just support it and push it enough, if the people get behind it, we can be in that elevated space. And I think it would do a lot for the city overall. Yeah. Now, what is your favorite, I guess, era of music? Because, you know, a lot of us are stuck on the 90s. Oh, I love 90s R&B. Or yeah. even further back, what is your favorite era of music? I'm, I'm a huge fan of the 70s. Uh, I, I'm just really big into that, that, that funk era, that disco era. Um, the early stages of hip hop is in that era. Like, like that, that heartbeat, you know, uh, that, that's what I, I like. I like Ohio players, Isley yeah. Brothers, Sly and the Family Stone, you know, Donna Summer. I love, you know, just that whole era, man. Like, yeah. just that, that whole Fonso era, Isaac Hayes, uh, you know, Minnie Ripperton, like Shaka Khan. Yes, yes. Oh, man, I, I, love, I love all that. That's, that's, that's my favorite era, I and I'm pretty sure that music has influenced your craft. Um, how would you describe your sound, Jay Buck? Oh, if I could describe my sound, I would say that it is <laughs> an eclectic uh, array. Of, it's like a, just a gumbo of just soul and funk and jazz and, 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 and 
sprinkle in a little bounce of hip hop in there from time to time. And I just feel like it's it's just a combination of all the music that I enjoy. Uh, there's a lot of rock element to what I do um, because when I was learning how to perform, I would watch a lot of the rock and roll artists coming up, you know. Because uh, growing up in the 90s, of course, we had an evolution in terms of hip hop, but that's when, and they say that's the golden era of hip hop, but it was also the golden era of, of a lot of rock bands. You had mm -hmm. your Green Days, you had your Smashing Pumpkins, Nirvana, mm -hmm. all of these different rock and roll bands, and I would watch these guys go crazy on stage. I what did like, you like about the rock bands? The freedom of it all. The freedom of it all. I said, man, some of these guys literally are just screaming into the mic, but the people love it and they lose in their mind. And I, mm -hmm. I love that. I love that freedom to just do it. Because when I saw it, I recognized it. I said, wait a minute, that's just James Brown. It's just that they're, they're putting it, they're a little less refined than James was. And so when I recognized it, I'm like, oh, okay, they doing what we, what we do. It's just that they got on, you know, <laughs> tattered clothes and hair yeah. all over the place. And, and they just moving a little faster. And, and it's all over the place, but I just love the freedom of it all. And so for me, like, I'm like, how can we get that? And so we had that same freedom in black music. We just called it crunk music. That was the whole crunk era. That's all that was. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, I'm heavy into that because a lot of people, I mean, if you're from the city, you know, I mean, that's three, six all day. Like they brought that era in. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, how can I get crunk, <laughs> but still be funky at the same time? Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to keep that energy of what I felt when I listened to, uh, you know, Mystical, or when I listened to uh, Three Six or Project Pat. I want to keep that energy, but at the same time, be soulful with it and have, yes. have a different message with mine. So. Yes. Now, since COVID-19 impacted us since March, how has that changed your life? And um, how are you adapting these days? Yeah, so how it's changed my life. I do a lot of cooking. Okay. <laughs> that's, one, that's one thing that it has impacted. Oh, which has been good. I've been saving a lot of money in doing that. So what you like to cook, Jay Buck? Now see, now see, now you're getting into my recipes and stuff. I can be giving all Can you cook? Can you cook? I can't, I can't cook. I do a little salmon. My specialty is catfish. I can fry the hell out some catfish. Okay, Mississippi, Mississippi roots with that catfish. Oh, a little catfish, uh -huh. a little rice. Um, but nah, I do that. I do a lot of chicken. I do a lot of seafood. I do a lot of salads, uh, things of that nature, cabbage, asparagus. I do all that. So yeah, I, I keep it clean for the most part. It don't look like you put any pounds on over there. It don't look like you carrying a big gut around over there. <laughs> I ain't got no 14, 15. I got about five on me though. I got about five. <laughs> All right, so you've been cooking. You've been cooking lately. Um, have you been doing a lot of virtual um, events with your craft? Well, you know, the thing about that is I, I, I struggled with the virtual thing at first. During, during the early part of the pandemic, I was pretty much just spending time with my mom uh, and my dad. And because my mom at that particular time, like she was still sick. And so I didn't want to like go out too much or do too much early on because I didn't want to come back and bring her, bring COVID to her because I still wanted to visit her and check on her and things like that. And so um, with, uh, with the virtual concerts, the thing with that is I saw the writing on the wall kind of before it started happening with that. When you're doing covers virtually, now Facebook and Instagram find themselves in the music industry. 
And so it's different when we're live in a place. There's nobody from BMI that's going to come down here to actually right. see you performing their song and say, okay, you got to give me $20. Okay. <laughs> you know? But online, they watching, baby. But online, everybody's <laughs> watching. And so what I do have in mind, though, uh, and this is something that we're working on for the next, over the next two months, we'll get it together so it can be right, is doing a virtual concert, all of, all of, all original music of mine. Um, you do it. That way, that way, can't nobody come in and say, okay, we got to take this down because it's my shit. So <laughs> yeah. that's, what, that's what I'm focusing on next. So with that, I just didn't want to do it because the feeling was there. I really do thrive off the energy of people. Mm -hmm. So when I'm performing, and nobody's out there to, to receive what I'm putting out and give it back to me. It makes it a little weird for me. But we did do uh, we did do one concert. Uh, we did Black Love Live with Cody Little, uh, me, Courtney Little, Jerry Richardson. We did that. It was a huge success. We had a lot of views and shares on it. Um, and so I definitely saw the, the impact of it and, and saw the benefit of it. Uh, but it was also like in the back of my mind always, like, how can I do it differently? So I think now I found a way that we can kind of do it differently. So we just got to find a location that's perfect for it, that yeah. kind of, you know, intrigue people to tune in and keep their eyes on the screen. So that's the main thing. Yeah. Social media stuff is, man. You got to find a way to keep people eyeballs on it. Oh, because they tune in and they tune out they tune real out quick. Real quick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what's next for Jay Buck? What's next for Jay Buck? What's next for Jay Buck? What's next for Jay Buck is um, finding a way to uh, have this thing rolling like a smooth, well-oiled machine. I want to be more um, impactful on the business side of the music industry um, and create an infrastructure here in Memphis that promotes other artists, like not just myself, but I want to be able to um, bring other artists that I see and I adore and I admire into the forefront so that we can all rise at the same time. Like they say, all boats float. I just want to make sure that all boats float. Um, and so that means that we got to get our business together. You know, we got to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Um, and we all rocking this independent thing. We got to really be about what we say we're about. You know, we can't wait on anybody else to do it for us. We are the solution. And so that's the thing. I want to be part of the solution. Uh, for bringing more money into the pockets of independent artists in Memphis. And so that's where I want to take it next. Let's, let's go. I feel, I feel you. Um, I've really enjoyed learning about you, Jay Buck. Um, I, I've learned a lot of things I didn't know. I, I'll tell you that. And it, it makes the man that you are and, you know, a lot of the pieces are all coming together and and then I knew I like that some Pisces energy. I, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> now I did want to ask you this, Jay Buck, because you know we have a very intense political climate right now. We got the upcoming election in November. Um, countless uh, cases of police brutality. Uh, very recently, just yesterday, um, the verdict was announced in the officers. Um, that brutally killed Breonna Taylor, a black woman. And, you know, when I think of black women and how I utilize my platform, um, I often talk about the misogyny of it all, how black women, um, although, you know, a lot of people cherish us, we are at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to respect. Yes. So yesterday was a defining moment in that, although we weren't surprised about, um, 
how the uh, outcome of the case was with the officers, um, it is still very traumatizing for me at least. So um, what are your thoughts on how this Breonna Taylor case unfolded on yesterday? Um, to be quite frankly with you, I think it's disgusting. Uh, and to your point, I, I saw someone made a post the other day that said that it's funny how people make so much money trying to profit off of looking black or being like black women. But then you turn around, black women are the most likely to not be treated correctly by doctors, y'all, the most likely to, um, you know, not to not receive the proper medical care during pregnancy and things of that nature. And very high mortality rate with birth. Very high mortality. Rate. Yeah. So um, with that, it's, it's, you think about it, it's like, wow. And Malcolm had said years ago that the black woman was the most disrespected person on the planet. And then you fast forward and it's still the same. Yes. And, and so for me, when I, when I heard the verdict, I thought about the fact that this is a person here who's an essential worker, okay, black woman, risking her life every day, helping people who potentially have COVID-19, sleeping to get up to go to work the next day, and you kill her. Mm -hmm. Just bust up in that shoe. Because of, because of a tip that you got from somebody else. So what it says is, what it says is, is you're telling me, Attorney Jayden, Attorney General Daniel Cameron, you're telling me that it is legal if the police say that they think something's wrong, something's going on in their house, that they can break in and kill me. In the same state in Kentucky that has, you know, license to carry, and they have the no-knock policy where they don't have to knock to bust into your home. So you don't have, you have a no-knock policy, then you have a license to carry policy, and you have stand your ground laws in this same state. So if you know the law, you already saw the writing on the wall with this. And then you're married to Mitch McConnell's niece. Mm. So you're playing a different game. Yeah. So he didn't care what we thought, black folks thought about what he was doing, because it's not aligned with his aspirations to be with them, the Republican Party. And so when you look at it, when you politicize the lives, when you politicize justice, now we're in a dangerous space. We're in a dangerous space when somebody can be murdered innocently. You give their family 12 million taxpayer dollars. That's not 12 million that's coming out the police department's budget. That's 12 million that's coming from the state's budget. Mm -hmm. To go to that family, and you think that that's gonna erase what you did. Bob Jane was sitting on the couch eating ice cream. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And so when we look at that, it's like there is, it's almost like there's nowhere on earth where we can find peace. And so like for, for the black community, voting does matter. When you look at what happened with the George Floyd situation, when you bring in a Democratic Attorney General, who was a brother, he was able to get those arrests. He was able to get them charged. They were in jail. You got a Republican who was also a brother in this same situation. And only one person gets jail time, and he doesn't even get jail time for the bullets that went into Brianna. He's getting jail time because 
a bullet that went into a wall. That's crazy. That is ridiculous. Now that is a slap in the face. I mean, it's 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 literally you telling us that we can do whatever we want to, and you can't say nothing about it. Yeah, yeah, and and see, you you talk to us about your uh, experience with the justice system, the criminal justice system, and how you know you. I remember you saying you didn't understand it, but you went through it and it's a lot that we don't understand about the law. A lot of people don't understand how it's set up right. for other people to win. You know, it, it's just horrible. So Even the whole process of, 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 of <clears throat> how you get to the probation process and the difference between probation and parole, like people not understanding that part of the game and, and each state has its own individual laws and you have to learn those laws. But then, depending on your crime, you got federal laws that take precedent. And it's a mess right now because there's so much language that we don't understand about it. There's so much that changes from day to day that doesn't make the news. Mm-hmm. They change the laws every day, but that doesn't mean it's going to be front page news. They'll hide that stuff on page six. You'll never okay. see it. Yeah. Well, we'll see how this election turns out in November because it's around the corner, literally. Um, I mean, I'm still traumatized from yesterday. Like, it, it, I had an unsettling feeling waking up this morning because it was still on my mind. Like, I don't know, like, what can I do? What can I do with my platform, you know, to inform people? about how important it is to vote in November. So hopefully these people will get out and vote and we can make some changes because it's just horrible right now. You know, I, I really believe and feel in my Pisces nature that we're on the brink of something chaotic, like civil yeah. war maybe. Civil war, like that's what I'm feeling. Yeah, and, I, and tell me if you felt this. A part of me feels like almost it's necessary. I do. <laughs> we just got to go through it. Like, let's not fake it anymore. Let's try something different. Look, let's, let's, let's go for what we know. <laughs> if, if, if that's what it is, if that's what you're saying, a part of me feels like that. But there's also a part of me, I don't like chaos and confusion. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if it's going to take us going through that and having those difficult conversations or having those difficult interactions, for you to understand me and see me. Mm-hmm. That's why, like, when you see what you're seeing, <clears throat> I don't I don't support anybody, you know, being violent towards any other human being. But, you know, the riot is the language of the unheard. And so when you see that, you can understand how on the same day, 65 years ago, they acquitted the murderers of Emmett Till. Mm-hmm will quit the murders of Breonna Taylor and think there won't be smoke in the city. Hmm. That goes, that defies logic. I don't see how you got to that one. They popping off out there right now, baby. It's, it's on. Um, they started protesting in Memphis yesterday. So we'll see the effects of their decision, whether people like it or not. They going to yeah. see us, right? <laughs> and my, and my, my hope and my prayer is that on the other side of this is some form of atonement and reconciliation where we can get to a place in America where we are acknowledged as the descendants of the builders of this nation, which we are. Yeah. We built this nation. My grandma, your grandma, your granddaddy, my granddaddy, all of our great, 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 great grand. We built this 
country bare hands. Yep. For free. For free, because we ain't getting nothing. <laughs> and then they got the nerve to call us lazy. Right, right. Like, we need a break, <laughs> goddammit. We need a break. <laughs> Where my money at? Run me my ancestors' money, please. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh wow. You know what? We're gonna end this off with five fire questions from mm -hmm. Esco. So gonna ask you a question and I just want you to, you know, shoot off the dome and, and let me know, you know, which one do you prefer, right? Okay. Okay, so let's kick it off. I, I really don't know how you're gonna answer this one. <laughs> Donnie Hathaway or Marvin Gay? Marvin Gay. I gotta go. Why Marvin? Why Marvin? I go Marvin just because the body of work. He just had he just was able to have a we had Marvin a little longer than we had than we had Donnie. And Marvin had that, that sex appeal thing going for him. He so. sure did. And so do you on that stage. You be eating. I still I still I still a lot from both, but I probably stole more <laughs> from Marvin. <laughs> okay. Um Gladys Knight or Patty LaBelle? Oh, I gotta go Patty. Patty, why Patty? I gotta go Patty. I mean, you know, when Patty gets to flying, you know, and I'm yeah, sure. She gets did you check out the verses? I definitely did. I definitely did. Now, Gladys can sing still. Mm -hmm. so she can definitely sing. But but Patty, um, just the catalog, her music, it's just, I mean, it's timeless. Like, if only you knew all those other kind of songs. Like, I just, I just love this Patty. Yeah. <laughs> Now, do you prefer singing or songwriting? Which one? Mm. <laughs> if you had to choose. Uh, songwriting. Songwriting, why? Songwriting because I, I believe in the power of storytelling. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's, it's more therapeutic for me than singing. Okay. Okay. Now, do you prefer performing covers or originals? Okay, last question. Okay. Which genre do you prefer? I'm gonna give you three though. Okay. Soul, jazz, or rock? Ooh. Fave, your fave, your fave. Fave, soul, jazz, rock. I love all three. Dang. But I but I got to go soul because for me, jazz and rock and soul music anyway. Yeah. Because it, it got to come from somewhere. It sure <laughs> do. <laughs> I have to on that one. I'm going to go soul. I go soul. Well, J-Buck, I have truly, truly enjoyed you, my Pisces brother. Um, you definitely gave us everything about you, and I appreciate that. Um, very transparent about your journey. And I know somebody is going to get something from this podcast today. And um, I wish you the best of luck. And I want you to keep honing in on your originality, um, putting your music out there, your storytelling, your words, because we need it. We need some originality out here because <laughs> it's so saturated right now. We, okay. we need you, J-Buck. <laughs> we need you. <laughs> we need you too. And so I want you to stay lifted up and stay prayed up as a black woman in the space that you're in, doing what you're doing with the podcast and um, just stay with me, stay consistent like we talked about earlier. Yes. This is your path. This is your journey. Yes. This is the version of you you've always wanted to be. And I appreciate right. you just allowing me to share this space with you. 
Yes, thank you so much. Let everybody know how they can get in touch with Jay Buck and see and hear about everything you're doing. Um, make sure you follow me on Instagram at jbugmusic underscore. Um, you can also hit me up on Facebook, jbugmusic. I respond back. Shoot me a DM if you want to. Check me out. I always post where I'm going to be at, my shows and stuff like that. This is my website, www.jbugmusic.com. Let's see what we got coming up next. Yes. Thank you so much, Jay Buck, my guest for episode 137 of the Verbally Effective Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.